question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Well, hello. Welcome back again. Uh, Last week, we finished up the Old Testament with the uh, Maccabean revolt against Seleucid tyranny. And then it resulted in uh, an independent country um, governed by the high priest in Jerusalem. In other words, it was a theocracy. Um, <clears throat> and that lasted for about 100 years. The uh, Maccabean revolt succeeded in 165 BC. Um, <clears throat> but this independence this had lasted for about 100 years. But it came to an end when there were two candidates for the high priesthood, um, the person who governed the country. And supporters of each one sent a delegation to the Roman general Pompey in Syria, seeking his support. Um, Curious thing to do. There was a third group representing the Jewish people asked Pompey to restore the Jewish nation to its pre-Maccabean non-political status. Pompey responded by marching into Jerusalem in 63 BC and appointed Hyrcanus II as high priest. Hyrcanus faithfully carried out Rome's policy with the help of a minister by the name of Antipater, and a Jumean. Uh, he and his son Herod were ambitious and they managed to stay in favor with the succession of Roman leaders during the long period of disturbances at the close of the Republican period, which began with the murder of Julius Caesar and uh, ended up with uh, um, Augustus winning out uh, to become the first emperor of the new empire. Now, Herod was named king of Judea and Samaria in 40 BC, but disturbances in Jerusalem made it impossible for him to ascend the throne until around 37. Augustus confirmed his rule in the year 30, and by the time of his death, his kingdom included Judea, Samaria, Idumea, which was to the south of things there, Perea, which is across Jordan, Galilee, and a territory northeast of the Sea of Galilee, which would today be in the country of Syria. He restored some degree of law and order and set up Palestine as a buffer state between Rome's territories and the marauding Arab peoples who constantly threatened the peace and Rome's lines of communications. He tried to foster Augustus's hopes for a common Greco-Roman culture throughout the empire by rebuilding old cities according to the Hellenistic pattern and constructing gymnasia, um, which offended the Jewish sensibilities because uh, the Greek gymnasium, uh, everyone worked out, exercised uh, in the nude. And to the Jews, this was um, an excusable loss of modesty. Uh, he built theaters and stadia to handle the um, gladiatorial contests. All of this was to encourage the Hellenistic way of life. Herod also built temples honoring Augustus. Thus, the Jews despised him, not only for his Idumean ancestry, but also for his efforts to Hellenize them. Paranoid, Herod was filled, filled the land with secret police, 
and severely punished anyone suspected of disloyalty. Not unlike Saddam Hussein. He had his mother-in-law, two sons, and a favorite wife out of ten put to death. And there was a famous um, fragment of a letter written to Augustus by one of his own emissaries uh, who contained the comment. uh, He said, I'd rather be a slave in Herod's household than one of his sons. In other words, at least the slave stayed alive. Um, Herod did try to pacify the Jews. He eased taxes in hard times and provided food in times of famine. He even began construction of a beautiful new temple in Jerusalem in 20 AD, which was not finished until after his death. I'm sorry, 20 BC, not finished until after his death. But all of this did not work because he had to play off one faction against another to keep a united front from forming. Now, Herod the Great, as he came to be called, uh, died in 4 BC. Now, the reason for that is that um, the the Gregorian calendar, which we're still on today, um, was created around 600 AD at the orders of uh, um, St. Gregory the Great, who was Pope. And the monk mission to do it uh, worked with the best he had, but we now know that he was off by a few years for the year zero. So it's, it's possible uh, from the way we scholars have put it together that Jesus may have been born about seven before before himself, seven before Christ. Um, Now, the Jews sent a delegation to Augustus asking that Herod's will appointing his sons as successors not be honored. When riots broke out in Judea, troops were sent to quell them, and his will was confirmed. Um, Archelaus um, became the ethnarch of Judea around 4 BC to 6 AD. Uh, Ethnarch is a title of royalty given to a dependent monarch. Uh, he's greater, than, higher up in rank than a tetrarch, but less than a king. Um, Herod Antipas became tetrarch of Galilee. He ruled there from 4 BC to around 39 AD. And uh, Philip became Tetrarch of Etruria, Trachonitis, Batanea, Orionitis, Galenitis, and Panias. Archelaus proved incompetent, ruling in Jerusalem, and was deposed after offending both Jews and Romans. Jerusalem and Judea passed under direct rule of Roman procurators from six A.D. to 66 A.D., except for a brief period from 41 to 44, when Herod Agrippus I, grandson of Herod the Great, uh, was in charge of things there. Most of them proved to be cruel and insensitive to Jewish sensibilities. Open revolt broke out in the year 66 and ended with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Roman army came in to set things straight. Now, um, religious developments. Jews were convinced that to avoid recurrence of such a tragedy as the Babylonian exile, they must know God's will as revealed in the law of Moses and live in accordance with it. Their exclusivism was prompted by a religious zeal to avoid at all costs the disloyalty of their fathers. Torah, which means teaching, is much wider than the English word law. 
It included all that God had revealed about himself, their history, and the conduct that was required of them. Though in the narrow sense, it always meant the, the Pentateuch, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, and the law of Moses. This centrality of the Torah led to the rise of a body of Jewish scholars known as scribes, or in Greek, sophorim. Laymen were charged with interpreting uh, and preserving sacred writings. That was the job of the scribes. Their perception was that God no longer reveals his will through prophets. The authority for understanding and interpreting God's will now resided largely with the scribes, who thought of themselves as successors to the prophets, which gives you some insight into one of the reasons why Jesus was not welcomed with open arms. Um, secondly, there were the Sadducees, who were um, uh, the priestly order. They were typically wealthy and aristocratic, separated from the people in both sympathy and understanding. They were conservative and accepted only the first five books of the Old Testament as divinely inspired. You'll notice that whenever Jesus is talking with the Sadducee, he only quotes from the first five books of the Old Testament, nowhere else. And they believed that faithful and literal fulfillment of God's provision for sacrificial worship in the temple was a crucial requirement for keeping covenant relationship with God. They were particularly opposed to apocalyptic thought on grounds that it was not compatible with Torah. For the same reason, they disavowed popular beliefs in angels, demons, evil spirits, and resurrection of the dead. Um, and of course, there were the Pharisees, which comes from a Hebrew word meaning separatists, um, a lay movement dating from the Maccabean period. They accepted prophetic writings, holy, write, holy writings such as the Psalms and Book of Job and the Oral Torah. They represented a liberalizing influence. Uh, they might not get that idea from Jesus. Um, <clears throat> I was talking about the Pharisees. Um, they were convinced that every decision in life must be governed by Torah, which led them to develop elaborate principles of interpretation, whereby they could derive specific rules to govern conduct in every conceivable situation. Some went so far as to say that if Israel would obey the Torah for one day, all of them, then the kingdom of God would come. Um, obedience was determinative for their future. They taught that sin stood between man and God. And the two great themes of their teaching is the power of the law and power of repentance. Finally, there were the Essenes of no certain origin. They were a sect, separatist part. Um, they were spiritual descendants of the Hasidim of the Maccabean period, but resulted in a radical withdrawal from social, normal social and religious associations. Um, they saw themselves as living in the last days and they alone had legitimate priesthood and authoritative interpretation of Torah. Calling themselves community of the new covenant and congregation of the poor, they pooled their possessions and took a vow of poverty. They expected two messiahs, one of Aaron, the priestly line, and the other of Israel, the royal line of David. They anticipated a great messianic feast when God's final victory had been achieved. But they were very pessimistic about mankind. They emphasized the perverseness of the heart, mind, and will, the inadequacy of all human righteousness, with an intensity that goes beyond biblical writings. 
um, sort of reminiscent of John Calvin during the Reformation. Um, there's some speculation about John the Baptist. Um, we know that he was born late in the life of his parents, in which case he was probably left an orphan at an early age. And it's possible that he went and stayed with the Essenes down at Qumran, um, which is, uh, we'll talk about, um, where they had set up shop, as it were, separate from Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> now, they, they believed in illustrations. They have uh, been to Qumran, and they had built-in um, pools all over the, the, the town. And you would regularly um, not exactly take a bath, but you would throw water on yourself from these pools by way of, of cleansing of sin. Um, and their view of the hierarchy in Jerusalem, religious hierarchy, uh, was a very dim view indeed. And John the Baptist uh, reflects some of that attitude towards the hierarchy and also his baptism by water. And now is, is the break, and I'll turn it over to the Rent Network. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to DefendingCatholicFaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Okay, we're back with John the Baptist. Uh, all of this is simply by way of saying that there's there's no proof, but there are some tantalizing coincidences which make it possible that John the Baptist, uh, after he was orphaned, uh, may have been may have joined their community and been raised with them. 
with his attitude towards the hierarchy in Jerusalem coincided with theirs, and the use of water in his baptism. Now, it was the belief that God had raised Jesus from the dead that provided basis for the Christian community's claim that he was the Messiah, not because of his words or his deeds. His resurrection was determinative. Now, there are two important implications. One is that Jesus is their living Lord, not concerned with him as past history. They look to the future. And secondly, since God had shown him to be the Messiah who fulfilled promises made to the Jewish people, their primary concern was to understand and interpret the person of Jesus in light of these promises. In other words, the Gospels were not meant to be biographies of Jesus, but proclamation of the good news uh, as interpreted by each of the individual four writers. It's not likely that any of the authors um, experienced everything that was written there in their Gospels. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels because they are in general agreement on content and plan. And many passages have identical Greek wording. John has many contrasts in language and content with the other three. Mark was the earliest to be written, with Matthew and Luke using Mark as a basis for some of their material, a source for writing their own versions. Now, initially, of course, until some, some things got written down, uh, and biblical scholars think that uh, Paul's letter the Thessalonians was written about 45 AD may have been the actual first thing written down that ended up in the New Testament so there was a span of time here when there was no New Testament uh, everyone was going on oral tradition what had been passed down so the traditions in written Gospels are analyzable in terms of definite forms in which they were circulated orally. So the pronouncement stories, brief narratives describing an encounter between Jesus and one or more people, ending with a statement of Jesus himself. There were miracle stories, narratives of miraculous acts of Jesus. There were sayings, originally circulated independently without narrative framework. They were eventually collected into groups illustrating a common theme. There were the parables, a story used to illustrate a truth independent of the story itself. In the New Testament, most suggest some truth about the kingdom of God, most parables. And then, of course, there were stories about Jesus that have no special features because they fall they fail to fall clearly under any other classification. For example, the nativity narratives in Matthew and Luke, and the temptation of Jesus, the transfiguration, and so forth. Now, <clears throat> John the Baptist denounced sinners and pronounced God's chosen people as unworthy of the honor of being God's people. Baptism was just a safe passage to escape the judgment to come. Um, some people may use it um, that way still today. He saw God as an angry purifier. On the other hand, Jesus was known as a friend of religious outcasts. His good news was that the new age is at hand. Not only can we prepare to enter into it, which was John's message, but the signs performed by Jesus show it is already breaking into the present age. His opponents never denied that he had extraordinary powers, only the source of those powers. The wonders he performed show that Satan's power over us is being broken. And for Jesus, God is forbearing, 
such as the farmer who forgives the unfruitful tree and one more year, one more chance to bear fruit. And rejoices over the recovery of one of his creatures. God does not grudgingly allow what was lost in, to return to his proper place, but takes the initiative. The shepherd, the good shepherd going after the lost sheep, the housewife searching for her lost coins, and the father of the prodigal son. In other words, God is proactive, not reactive. Jesus saw his own ministry of befriending outcasts as an extension of the nature of God himself. Unfortunately, so many so highly value what they possess in this wage that they cannot accept God's gracious invitation to enter the coming age. Not to be thwarted, God turns to those most desperately in need and therefore most ready to heed the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. And there's a parable of the Great Supper where all the guests are invited and the banquet is laid, but none of those who were invited showed up. So they were directed, the servants were directed to go out and drag in people off the street, anyone um, of low estate. Um, God's graciousness transcends the simple mind and fairness that we expect of human nature. Uh, the parable of the laborers, the one who was hired at the beginning of the day and the ones who were hired at the end of the day received equal pay. Thus, he's, he advocates that we act graciously towards others. Because that is the way, the, God, the way that God acts towards us. For Jesus, the standard of moral behavior is not a legal code or abstract ethical principles, but the very nature of God himself. Thus he extends love of neighbor to one's enemies without expecting anything in return. Because that is how God treats us. Love is not a matter of attitude, but of action. The call to poverty is a call to center our security in God, not material things. So let's get started with uh, Mark, which was the earliest of the Gospels to be written. Um, biblical scholars uh, put it, place it around 70 AD, shortly after the uh, famous um, fire in Rome in which Nero was blamed for it and he in turn uh, blamed it on the Christians which was easy scapegoat they were suspicious anyway um, and he martyred many Christians he was one of the first emperors to do that um, they, were, they were tied to posts up in the air and uh, covered with oil and set on fire as human torches. Um, so it's thought that the, the writing of the Gospels got started uh, because there was a passing of the original generation of eyewitnesses. And since there's some need for a written record, but also because that passing marked the outer limit of time for evangelism before the second coming. In other words, there was a sense of urgency that the faithful not waver in the time of trial left to them before judgment. And we even see in Paul's letters how he too was influenced by this. He thought that the second coming was right around the corner, um, which explains why he didn't critique the institution of slavery. He didn't think it was going to be time to mess with that. Um, we had to get our act in order without changing the um, social structures. Um, 
The immediate aim of Mark is to reassure the doubtful that their salvation will come in due time. And secondly, to forewarn the indolent or indifferent to get their act together. But the more general aim is to provide a concrete basis for the threefold role of Jesus in the faith of the church. One, as subject of the preaching. Two, he is authority for its teaching. And three, as mediator of its worship with God. Now, the sense of urgency is conveyed by the oft-repeated word, immediately. Eight times in the first chapter alone. Although written in Greek, the context is clearly Jewish, whether the issue is the authority of Jesus, interpretation of the Mosaic Law, or the claim that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. The implication is that he wrote for a Hellenized, Greek-speaking group of Jewish Christians. Most important quotations come directly from the Septuagint, which I mentioned before. Um, it was compiled by 70 uh, schol Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt, around 90 BC, because of the large number of Greek-speaking Jews in Egypt who did not know Hebrew. So, um, the most important quotations of Jesus come from the Septuagint, not the Hebrew version. His story opens with the theme of fulfillment of Scripture. Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet. Some of that famous quotation comes from Isaiah, but also there's a few phrases from the book of uh, the prophet Micah. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Malachi. Now, note what Mark doesn't report. There's no hint or recognition of special treatment of Jesus by John the Baptist. Jesus is just one among the crowds streaming to John for baptism. The implication of this is that the vision of the Spirit descending and the sound of the divine voice probably were prior experiences of Jesus himself. Words addressed, addressed to him alone. The voice calling Jesus' son is the agent of his commissioning for the task of establishing God's rule on earth. What that job involved is clarified in the remainder of the text. Now, after the temptation story, which is the 40 days following his baptism, Jesus goes into the desert. There he gives um, Mark gives a succinct summary of Jesus' message. The present age, dominated by Satan and his agents, is coming to a close. The new age is about to dawn. And the work of preparing people for the kingdom is not restricted to Jesus alone. Uh, he called disciples to help him out. And he also sent them out to do what he had been doing, which is preaching and healing people. Um, for Mark, the chief sign of the nearness of the kingdom is the overcoming of disease and demonic possession. Uh, the first act of Jesus is an exorcism. In chapters 21 to 28 of chapter 1, It's the story of um, he, he was in the synagogue and teaching. The people were astonished. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I think it's worth mentioning at this point that Americans have a trouble, trouble with this word authority. But I think that's because they make, do not make a distinction between authoritative and authoritarian. We automatically associate authority with 
authoritarian. But as it says there in Mark's Gospel, the people of his hometown said he speaks with authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. They were the authoritarian ones, um, teaching arbitrarily, imposing their will upon people. Um, now, um, following his rejection in Nazareth, um, his teaching is not just a message. Teaching for Jesus includes the whole of his public activity, not just his words, but what he did. And its novelty consists not in its content, but in the effectiveness of his whole ministry. Um, this is what uh, often got people talking about him, his, his healings and his exorcisms. Um, okay, we've got another break coming, so I'll get back to that shortly. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. The White House Doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Okay, we were talking about um, Mark's Gospel, and in particular, the message of Jesus, which consisted not just of his words, of what he said and advocated, but also in what he did, in his healings, and his exorcisms. Um, the effectiveness of his whole ministry, not just what he said. Now, there's a so-called by biblical scholars uh, of the messianic secret which is only found in Mark's gospel chapter 3 verse 12 to be exact so I'll read that to you 
Whenever unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. He warned them sternly not to make him known. That's a so-called messianic secret. Um, Mark's conviction is that there is no direct path to deliverance and triumph that does not pass through suffering. And um, a good, clear example of that today would be uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, They have suffered enough to the point where they become desperate enough to do anything to break themselves of this destructive behavior. And so they begin by um, the affirmation, I am an alcoholic. Uh, Getting back to basics. Now, riches, as we all know, can be an obstacle to faith. And there's a remark on that. Chapter 4, verse 19. Worldly anxiety, the lure of riches, and the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. Um, shows that for some of the readers, this was a problem. No surprise there. Initially, Mark focuses on the breaking of the demonic hold on the present generation. Uh, For example, the parable of binding the strong man, who would be Satan. But he shifts to questions of who Jesus is, that he can perform such wonders. Chapter 4, verse 41. Um, They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even the wind and sea obey? Um, This shows that for some of... um, Who is this person that can perform such wonders? And next, Mark shows the limitations imposed by lack of faith. Both family and friends deny that he is sent by God. Their unbelief deprives him of the benefits of his God-given powers. It is not merely that he will not, but that he cannot do his mighty works among them. Now, there are two stories that attribute cosmic powers to Jesus— Feeding of the mountain, the walking on water. They were preserved in the church. They were preserved in the church because they had become vehicles for describing the community's belief in the continuing spiritual presence of Jesus in their midst. The Eucharist and God's promise of safe deliverance of his people from the threatening waters where the Greek phrase is identical with Mark in chapter 6, verse 50. Now, a major feature of both Pharisaic and Essene Judaism at the time was maintenance of ceremonial purity. According to Mark, Jesus disagreed. It is the integrity of inner moral purity that makes matters. Um, The Jewish tradition of separateness is virtually abandoned by Jesus. Gentiles can be elect just as much as Jews can. Um, His reluctance to attend to the um, Gentile woman who had been sick for for quite a few years and spent all of her money on doctors and none of them done any good. And she touched Jesus' garment and he questioned who did that. Finally, she came forward and confessed and fell at his feet 
and she was a Gentile. Um, and he said, your faith has saved you. Um, Peter's confession in chapter 8 marks a turning point of this gospel. Chapter 8, verse 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said to him in reply, you are the Messiah. Then he warned him not to tell anyone about him. Messianic secret again. Um, but this profession of faith by Peter uh, is, is the turning point of the whole gospel, which is only 16 chapters long. And this is in chapter 8, right in the middle. Um, chapters 9 and 10 are devoted to misunderstandings and misconceptions on the part of the disciples. They cannot fathom Jesus' way of service and suffering versus usual kind of power trip if they can cure, uh, this is, elevates them somehow. Um, Jesus insists that service and suffering go together. In sharp contrast, blind Bartimaeus is able to see clearly who he is. So this is a, the, the pattern of typically turning things upside down the way that the world sees things. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, the claim of the people is in contrast to the hostility of the city leaders, symbolized by the cursing and withering of the unproductive fig tree and the purging of the temple. Now, the fig tree was a symbol uh, in the Jewish imagination for, for the law, the Mosaic law. And by finding this fig tree that was unproductive, uh, Jesus was, was saying, in effect, that um, the law has ceased to be productive, fruitful. Um, and then the purging of the temple um, uh, beating the money changers out, turning over their tables. Um, the result is that the nation has forfeited its role as the people of God. That's Jesus' um, conclusion, the result of all of what he said and did. Jesus is the founder of the New Covenant people, which can be found in chapter 12. Have you not read the scripture passage, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. They were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. For they realized that he had addressed the parable to them. So they left him and went away. It was the Pharisees. Um... When Jesus enters Jerusalem, um, as with the Palm Sunday procession, um, the people give him great praise. Um, Jesus is the founder of the New Covenant people who are characterized by faithfulness in prayer by neither arrogance nor dependence upon civil authority, and by obedience to the twin commandments of love of God and of neighbor. 
which the, the to love your neighbor as yourself comes right out of the book of Leviticus. And by acceptance of a worldly position of humility and poverty. Now, chapter 13 is heavily dependent on the book of Daniel. Only the expected existence establishment of the kingdom is now about to take place. The prediction of the temple's destruction provides a clue to the historical circumstances for the writing of Mark. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And um, it's thought that Mark may very well have been in Rome at the time of the uh, great persecution by Nero. It's a series of events which profoundly affected the early church. Death of the leading apostles, Peter and Paul in Rome, Jerusalem, the destruction of the city by the Romans, and the, and the city and the temple in 70 AD, and the flight of Jerusalem Christians from the city. Whether Mark wrote just before or after these events is uncertain, but he had to explain them so as to affirm the power of God to fulfill his promises and judge those who rejected Jesus' interpretation. The destruction of Jerusalem was a divine judgment on Judaism for its blindness. That's what Mark would have advocated. The sure sign of the end of the age will be desecration of the temple. But in the interim, the task of universal evangelism, the end will occur in the lifetime of the first generation. So the community must be ever faithful and watchful. Well, we've come to the end of our hour, and I hope you bid you all a um, um, happy weekend, and uh, see you back here at the same time next week. We'll finish up Mark and go on to um, the other Gospels. God bless for now. Tuning into Religious Faith and the Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.